Contentment is the state of being happy and satisfied with what you have in whatever situation you're in. Today, we'll be looking at the third quality that benefits us greatly on our life journey. This message is the third in the series, Road Trip. The message is entitled, Contentment. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we continue our series for the summer called Road Trip. We want to talk this morning about a very important part of your journey and how to place into your life something called contentment, the value of contentment. All of us are on a life journey. We're moving through this life, and our life will have various, various lengths of time. For some of us, it might be 60, 70, 80, 90, some maybe 100 years or longer. We don't know how long we're going to be in this life, but one thing is for sure, it's a journey. And as you're going through life, as like any journey, it's very important that you pack the right stuff with you. You don't want to get to a place and not have what you need. And so as we're moving through this whole idea of preparing for our life journey, we're talking about the things that are extremely important to pack into your life with you. The first weekend we talked about faith. You can't please God without faith. You can't grow your life as a believer without faith. You and I need to be people of faith. And we talked about how to pack faith into our hearts, into our lives. Last weekend, Pastor Steve Rivera talked to us about patience, the importance of learning how to pack patience because most of the things that happen in life don't happen according to our timetable. If you found that to be true in your own life, that you have to wait on things and you have to learn how to wait the right way. And today I'm going to talk to you about one other element of this. We want to talk to you about how you build into your life something called contentment. If you'll grab your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to read together with me Philippians chapter 4, and starting in verse number 10, we'll read down through verse number 13, where the Apostle Paul talks about this in his own life, and we'll read together loud and loudly, and all the folks in Frederick, in fact, we welcome all the folks in Frederick this morning to our time of teaching as well. So all of you folks in Frederick, let's read together aloud as well as in Gaithersburg. Here we go. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Do you underline that phrase there, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances? I'll come back to that in a few moments. Verse number 12, I know what it is to be in need. Together, here we go. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. So Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In verse number 12, he said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Listen to Paul's words that he writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, I'll read this for you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Proverbs 19, verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. 
Today I want to talk to you really about three things that you need to understand biblically about contentment. What does the Bible teach us about this whole idea of contentment? The first thing you must understand about contentment is that contentment really is a state of your heart and a state of your mind. Contentment is not based upon externals. Contentment is based upon internals. It's an attitude that you carry with you in your heart and in your mind. Contentment actually refers to three basic things. When we talk about the internals of your life, it concerns how you think and feel about what you have, that is your lot in life, what do I have, it has to do with your attitudes about what others have, because one of the quickest ways to lose your contentment is to start looking around and seeing that other people have what you want. And now you're looking at your own life and saying, I really want that or I deserve that, but they have it and your contentment is disturbed. And then the third thing that contentment has to do with is it really has to do with your impact upon people. That is, what do people feel when they get around you? That is, when they are interacting with you, do they come away from their interaction with you feeling peaceful, feeling as though something of of, of freshness has come from you, or do they walk away from interactions with you disturbed on the inside because you are disturbed on the inside? So it's what you carry around with. It's the spirit of your life. And so what we want to develop is a spirit of contentment so that we're content about, we're okay with what we have, we're okay with what other people have that we may not have, and then we're also capable of interacting with people in such a way that in the end result of our interactions and relationships, contentment or peace is birthed. So peace really is, or contentment I should say, really is an attitude of your heart, it's an attitude of your mind, it's an attitude of your spirit that you develop inside of you. Let me tell you what contentment is not. Contentment is not passivity. A lot of people think, well, I'm just content. I don't really want anything. No, that's not real contentment. Biblical contentment is not being passive. It's not being apathetic. It's not wanting to grow or develop. It has nothing to do with that. You can be very content and at the same time still want to grow and develop. You can be very content on the inside and still have a desire to press forward in developmental aspects of your life, your walk with God, your professional career, and whatever it might be as a part of your journey with God that He's called you to. And so contentment is not just sort of laying down and letting life happen to you. That's not what it means. Contentment is taking what I have been given by God, my lot in life, and doing the best I can with what I have been given without comparing myself with other people around me and at the same time generating a spirit of joy in those that I interact with and peace with those that I interact with as well. And so contentment is a state of heart and mind. It happens on the inside. It's not something that is determined by external events or external external things in your life. The second thing I want you to know about contentment is that contentment really is a secret to something every person here wants, and that's joy. It's the secret to joy. Well, I will say, I'll say it like this. Contentment kind of leads to or is a root of joy. If you want joy, sustained joy in your life, you can't just go after joy you have to develop contentment because contentment is one of the things that produces joy. 
the state of mind and state of heart of contentment will actually yield this kind of life. How many of you would say, I'd like to have a life that is more joyous? I certainly would. I want more joy in my life. I want the fruit of the Spirit of joy to be a part of me. For that to occur, I have to become more content in it from a biblical frame of reference, understanding what it really means in life. Now, Paul talks about this, as we read a few moments ago in verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 4. Just listen again to what he said. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Let's say that together. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. One more time. Here we go. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul said, this thing called contentment did not come to me naturally. It was not something that I just sort of got It was something that came as the result of an education process. I had to actually grow. I had to learn some things along the way that led me to this. And when I was led to this, it brought me into a secret of life that a lot of people don't know about. See, that's what a secret is. A secret is something you know that lots of other people don't know. And there are certain secrets to life that when you discover them, they open up possibilities. They open up resources for you that were not opened before. And so Paul said, I went through this education process. In my spiritual journey, I had to learn because it was a time in my life when I was not a very contented person, but God brought me in a journey and he educated me. He taught me what it meant to be contented, and I learned a secret now that has opened up resources to my life, one of those resources being the resource of joy. I've learned the secret. He also makes a comment about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, as he writes to Timothy, as we read a few moments ago, he said it this way, but godliness with contentment is great, what? Gain. He said, when I learned this contentment in my life, I gained In other words, contentment, I'll give you another phrase here, brought added value to my life. My life took a a turn toward the better. There was stuff added to me positively when I learned how to be contented. And he writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, understand something. When you gain this idea of godliness that is learning to be like God along with contentment, it's going to add some advantages to your life. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about the advantages, the things that are the value points that are added to your life when you learn how to be content. I'm going to give you eight of these, and so you can write them down as we walk through them. The first thing that contentment adds to your life is satisfaction, and everybody wants to have a sense of satisfaction. And real satisfaction is determined not in what a person has or doesn't have. Real satisfaction actually is having the right attitude, not having the right things. Because in your life, when you have even the right things right now, those right things are not going to satisfy you tomorrow because there will be other things that you will want tomorrow that will bring satisfaction, you think, to you. And so real satisfaction is not based upon the things that you have. And in fact, when you're satisfied, you're not even looking around at things to bring about that sense of contentment in your soul. The second thing that's the benefit, if you will, of contentment is separation, that contentment allows you to have this ability to separate from things. There's certain things in life in your walk with God as you grow in your relationship with God that you have to separate from, you have to leave behind. 
because it's bad baggage, right? That bad baggage might be sinful things that you're doing that's dragging your life down. It might be relationships that are not good or right or healthy for you that you have to leave behind. It might be an attitude that you have to separate from. It could be a lot of different things, but understand that spiritual growth, you're not going to grow as a Christian without separating from some things. You have to leave some things behind. And sadly, what happens with a lot of people in their spiritual journey is they try to grow with God while holding on to things of the world. And they try to grow with God while holding on to things that are sort of the pet sins in their life, and they make excuses for them. I'm just going to continue to do this, but I really want to grow with God, but I want to hold on to this too. And so they live sort of a torn life between God and the world. They're always back and forth. They're sitting on the fence with God, never quite making the all-in decision. And all of us live there at certain points and times. I love what the old country preacher said about sitting on the fence with God. He said, blessed are those who sit sit on the fence, for they shall be shot from both sides. And that's exactly what happens. When you're sitting on the fence, you're never going to be happy either way, okay? And one of those, some of the most miserable people in the world are, are people who are trying to say they want, want to walk with God, but they're not willing to make an all-in decision in their relationship with God. But when you're contented, let me tell you why that's important. Because what you learn is, I can let go of stuff. Because I know God's got me covered. I don't have to worry about all that because even if I give it up, I know that what God has for me is better. And so it gives you the capacity to separate from things. That's why it's so valuable for your life. The third thing that's very important to understand is that it also brings settledness. And you can't really grow until you're settled. You can't take a plant and keep uprooting it and moving it different places and expect it to ever really grow, can you? For a plant to grow, it has to get planted and it has to be settled and roots have to be established there and contentment allows you to get settled or to get planted in life so you're not always looking for something better or something different or something more. Fourthly, it provides security for you. When you're contented, there's a sense of security that comes to your soul, that you don't worry any longer about the the blessings of other people, the, uh, the opportunities that other people have. See, when you're insecure, what happens is this. You're always measuring your life by what other people are saying about you or what other people are, how other people are living their lives and where you measure in relationship to them. That is, are you, do you have as much money as they have? Do you drive the nicest car that they drive? And you begin to measure yourself by externals. And all of us have done that before, that we build our self-worth on external things. And what contentment does for you is it takes all that stuff away. You don't have to to worry about what anybody else has. Wouldn't that be a great day in your life if you could get to that point that you didn't even really care about what anybody else had? And when they were blessed, you were blessed. You could celebrate with them and rejoice with them when they were blessed because you didn't have any sense of jealousy or envy in your heart at all. See, that's a place of contentment. It's a wonderful place to be because you're not building your self-esteem off of somebody else. You know that you're valuable and worth something because God says you are. Because God says you're worth something. Because God has placed his love, his affirmation upon you. And so contentment produces, it causes you to gain a sense of security. The fifth thing that it does for us is it actually allows us to become a seasoned Christian. It brings seasoning to your life. Maybe you have had um, food before, I'm sure all of us have, that you taste it and it's just bland. It just no seasoning in it. 
or you've had food before that was over-seasoned. I mean, just had way too much garlic, okay? Or way too much whatever it might have been, pepper, onions, whatever it could have been. But the, the, the additional elements that the chef added in just actually ruined it because it was not properly seasoned. What you and I need to be as Christians, we need to be people who are properly seasoned. So with people taste of our spirit, that is when we're around them, they sense God in us. They taste something, as as the psalmist said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, how do many people taste of God? They taste of God through God's people. And that when they interact with God's people, they're able to taste of God. And what you want to be is properly seasoned. And when you are content, there's a seasoning about you that is very pleasant helps people to get connected and have a desire to connect with God. The next thing that it does for you, a very valuable asset that it adds to your life, is it also brings you a sense of sufficiency, that you know that you have everything that you need when you need it because God is taking care of you. That's what sufficiency is. Sufficiency doesn't mean that I have everything that I want right now. Let me just do a quick poll here this morning, Frederick as well. How many of you would raise your hand and say, there's some things I want, but I don't have right now. Go ahead and raise your hand. I want them, but I don't have them, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. If you had to wait till you got what you wanted to be happy, how long are you going to have to wait? You'll never be happy, right? Because what happens is, again, you're waiting for this to be in your life, and that comes, and then you want something else. And I'll come back to that a bit in a moment. But it's always this ongoing journey. And so when you're sufficient, what it means is this, that whatever God has for you in your life in this moment and in whatever season you're in, He is big enough and able enough to provide for you everything that you have need of so you live every day with sufficiency. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I can be content if I have a a lot of food or if I don't have very much food. I can be contented when I'm well fed or I'm hungry. I can be content in all situations because I know who I serve. I know that my God is watching over my life. I know that I'm sufficiently cared for in Him. The next thing that's important to realize is that this idea, this concept, this experience of contentment brings us a very important thing. It's called sanity. I tell you, if you get discontented and are discontented all the time, you go crazy. You don't need to raise your hand on this, but I will ask you today, have you ever been around a chronically discontented person before? I mean, just every, nothing makes them happy, okay? It doesn't matter what you do for them. It's not enough. What you give to them, it's not what they wanted. I mean, they're chronically discontented. At some point in time, what do you say? I, I can't take this, Okay. You're never happy. And, there, and that's the truth for us. That It actually it, it, it affects our emotional, it certainly affects our spiritual health, but it certainly affects our emotional, our psychological health as well. And so it is really healthy to develop a contented spirit, yes, spiritually, but also psychologically, emotionally, and relationally. It brings a great benefit to your life. I'll tell you something else about chronically discontented people. They stir up other people. Because when you're discontent, think of the word. Discontent, the root word of discontent is what word? Content, right? So you're discontent. You're not content. There's another word that's, very, that's connected to that root word. It's called contentious. And when you're discontent, you become contentious. What does contentious mean? It means you stir up stuff in other people. If you're not happy in you, guess what? You don't want anybody else to be happy. Because anybody else's happiness is a threat to your happiness. And so if you are discontent, you want everybody else to be discontent because you don't want anybody to threaten your sense of misery. Okay? 
And so it's a very negative thing for your life. It's a very negative thing for you psychologically, spiritually, and relationally. Number eight, eight thing is what it does for you. It brings you into a capacity to be a support to other people. None of us will run to discontented people to get help because they can't help anybody. They're already, they're so consumed with their own life, they can't help anybody else. But when you and I develop contentment in our spirit, we have something to give. We have the capacity to support others. That's why the Apostle Paul could have such effective ministry because he had learned the secret of being content. He ministered out of a contented spirit, out of a peaceful spirit, and people were able to receive benefit from that. So the first thing we understand about contentment is what? Contentment is a state of heart and mind. It's not about your externals. It's about what's going on where? In here, in your heart, in your mind, what you're thinking, how you're responding to life. Contentment is beneficial. It is a secret. It is a secret that taps you in to a bunch of stuff, including that can all be wrapped up in the concept of joy. And here's our final thing today. Your choices determine the state of your heart, the state of your mind. Your choices will determine your level of contentment. Write this word on the board, choices. Your choices will determine your level of contentment. There's a fallacy that all of us buy into at times, and the fallacy is really about what, as I mentioned a moment ago, what we have or don't have, or another element of that, what, what life dishes us or people dish us that we have to deal with. And contentment can be robbed when you and I focus our attention on what is happening to us rather than how we're responding to what is happening to us. If I spend all of my attention focused on what people are doing to me that I may not like or what the, what the environment around me is doing to me that I may not be pleased with, when my sights are external in that regard, concerned about how people are treating me or how life is treating me, then what happens is I now react to that out of frustration rather than responding to it by choice to say, you know what, I may not be able to control what's going on there, but I can control what's going on in here. And this is the difference. I will tell you, this is the major difference that can change your world. It can change you for the rest of your life when you begin to realize you don't have to react to everything that comes your way. You don't have to be the victim of everything that flows down the pipe toward you. You can choose a different response, and you can process this internally and say, you know what, it may be dishing out trash, but I'm not going to respond in a trashy way. There may be junk coming my way, but I'm not going to let the junk get in me, okay? There may be nastiness that is coming in my direction, but I'm not going to respond in like manner because I'm making a choice to respond differently because I'm not going to let that control me. I am choosing the state of my mind. I am choosing the state of my attitude. I am choosing the state of my, 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 my thoughts, my heart, where it's going to be. I am making a choice of how I am going to proceed with my life. And understand something, dear brothers and sisters, you have a choice. You have a choice. 
God gave you a choice. Not only did he give you the choice, but he says, I'll give you the power to fulfill the right choices. When you make the right choices, there is the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to actually do what is impossible to do in your own capacity. It is impossible to love people who hate you, isn't it? In your own natural ability, because if somebody hates you, what do you want to do? Hate in return. If somebody hurts you, what do you want to do? You want to hurt them in return. That's the natural orientation of mankind. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and when somebody hates you or responds to you in a negative way and you make the choice of saying, you know what, I'm not going to let that hatred become my response. I am going to choose to love in the midst of hatred. What happens is then the Holy Spirit jumps in that situation and gives you the power to do what you couldn't do because you made the right choice to do what God said to do. And anytime you make the right choice to do what God says to do, He will back up your choice with His power. See, that's what we don't grasp sometimes. And it's true when it comes to contentment. I cannot be contented by myself. I need God's help. How about you? I can't do it. I mean, how many advertisements do you see a day? How many times a day does somebody tell you what you really need to make your life happy? Okay. It's all around us. And so if I'm going to live contented in this world, I can't do it in my own strength or power. I have to have a power beyond myself, but I do have a responsibility. My responsibility is to say, I am choosing to be contented, and I'm trusting God to give me his power to do what I'm not able to do, and I know that he will back it up if my choices are right. Everybody got me this morning? If you got it, say amen. That's about like a third of you, okay? Come back at 11, I'll give it to you again, all right? <laughs> Making those choices. Now, I'm going to give you eight choices you have to make that will put you in a position to receive God's power. You ready for these? Why don't we read them together, all right? You ready to read them with me? The first choice is the choice to do what? Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to change what you say. Because if you're grumbling all the time, what are you feeding in your heart? Discontentment. And a lot of people, they spend a lot of their time, all they talk about is just what's wrong, what they don't have, and what the life is frustrating them. And so you have to change your words. Your words are powerful. The Scripture says that in your mouth is the power of life and death. And so you have to stop your grumbling and make a choice. That's why get, if you have the habit of grumbling, I mean, just do whatever you need to do to stop it, okay? Put tape over your mouth if you have to. Whatever you got to do, stop it. Number two, live how? Gratefully. Choose it. You're going to live gratefully. Start counting your blessings. Let me tell you something today. Every person here, you're blessed. I'm reminding you, you are blessed by God. If nothing else, if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven when you die. That's a blessing, isn't it? Okay? I'm thankful for it. If I don't have anything else in this life, I know that this life is temporary. Okay? And if life deals me a lot of hard stuff, then I'm, one of the things I try to keep in perspective is, well, you know what? This is only temporary. This is, my, my, this is not my real home. Okay? I'm just visiting here. I'm staying at a hotel here, okay, for a while, okay? But I'm going to my real home at some point in time. And so it reminds us of that reality. Number three, read with me. We have to accept. Oh, that was hard for some of you. Imperfection. We have some perfectionists in the room, don't we? And let me tell you that it's okay to pursue perfection, to pursue excellence, but it's not healthy to be a perfectionist. You know the difference? is that you can pursue excellence and pursue, if you will, the perfecting of things without being discontent with where you are right now. 
that is, it is what it is right now, and so I have to work with what I have. I have this lot in life or these resources at this moment, and I want to work them in this direction and use them to the best of my ability, but I'm not going to curse my lot in life. I'm not going to always be looking at what I don't have. I'm going to look past what I don't have to what I can do with what I have so I can move forward to the future. Amen? You got that? I'm not going to look at what I don't have. I'm going to look at what I have, and I'm going to use what I have to the best of my ability to work toward what I want life to be and what God wants me to do with my life. And let me tell you something about imperfections. Imperfections are going to be around for your whole life. You will never, ever have a perfect set of circumstances. The writer of Proverbs says, if you wait for perfect, talks to the farmer and says to the farmer, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never sow a seed. And there are a lot of people who have to wait for everything just to be exactly right. Okay, we can do it now because it's perfect. Guess what? It's not going to be, ever be perfect. Again, that's called heaven. That's where perfection is. It doesn't happen here on earth. But what we realize is in the midst of imperfections, some imperfections are temporary. Some imperfections are permanent. They're not going to change, okay? And I would not be a good pastor to you if I didn't tell you. There's some things in life that you want fixed that may not ever get fixed, Okay? There's some problems that maybe you're dealing with that I, I'd like to tell you that I've got this magic wand that I can sort of wave over the congregation. Ooh, and all your problems that, that you want fixed could be fixed. I'm telling you, I've got some problems that have been hanging around for a while. Anybody have some problems that have been hanging around with you for a while? Okay. And I'm going to keep working on them, but I'm not sure they're going to all be fixed. But I'm going to keep working on them to the best of my ability. But some things are never going to be as perfect as we want them to be. And so does that mean I've got to be miserable for the rest of my life? No, it doesn't mean you have to live in misery. It means you learn how to come to peace with imperfections, and you have to learn to deal with them the right way. Okay, the next one. What's the next one say? Number four, give out generously. Let me tell you why this is important. Write another word on the board here. Materialism. The spirit of our age, many spirits in our world today that uh, I could talk about that are move their, uh, their, their dark spirits, their spirits to try to get a hold of people. You say, well, Pastor, you sound kind of weird about that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says that there are actually unseen forces of darkness, that our battle is not with flesh and blood. But we live in a world where in the unseen realm, there's a battle between light and darkness. And one of those elements in our unseen world and the realm of darkness is materialism. And what materialism does is it tells you you've got to have more to be happy. You've got to have more to be worth something. And it puts you on this journey of getting stuff, getting things, having to have things for the sense of security for your life and worth for your life. There's absolutely nothing in the Bible that condemns you having things. Please don't hear me saying that today. I'm not telling you that things are bad. Nothing, nothing in the Bible that says having stuff is wrong. No, no. But there's a lot in the Bible that teaches us that when things have us, it's bad. When we're controlled by those things and we have to have them to be happy, that's called materialism, okay? And materialism is after you. Some of you are like staring at me right now, yeah. There's a demon after you. It's called the demon of materialism. It's after all of us. It's grabbing at us every day, trying to pull us into that trap. And one of the ways that you break the power of materialism in your life, that is basing your life, your life's worth, and your sense of security on stuff, is by learning to be a giver. Because materialism says get. That's what materialism, get, 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 get. Get more, get all you can, and can all you get. Okay? And so you just 
grabbing, grabbing, grabbing for more. And, you, and how much is enough? Well, it's never enough, right? And so that's what materialism is. So the way you break or you counter the spirit of materialism is by being a generous giver. That is learning to take the stuff you have and giving it away because when you give it away, you laugh at the spirit of materialism. I'm not going to let that control me. When I find myself getting too possessed by stuff, you know what I do? I just give some stuff away. When this gets a hold of me and I'm sorry, you know, when I begin to get so concerned about stuff, I just make a habit of my life to say, you know what, what can, I just need to give something. I need to break that spirit in my life because I, I don't want that to be a part of me. How about you, right? I don't want to be controlled by that stuff. And so the Bible teaches us that giving gives us the capacity to break that spirit. Let's look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God loves a miserable giver. Is that what it says? No. It says God loves a cheerful giver. As you get to the point of saying it's fun to give. Why? Because it's breaking spirits of darkness in my life. I'm so happy for an opportunity to give. Why? Because it's breaking the powers of darkness. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 8 from the Good News Bible says it this way, and God is able to give you more than you need so that you will always have all you need for yourselves and more than enough for every good cause. I love that, don't you? God's got your cover. He can supply for you. Number five, what does or how do you make a decision to become content? You learn to contribute how? Constructively, to be a constructive person and to contribute constructively. Discontentment, listen to me, discontentment always destroys. It always destroys. If you're discontented with your marriage, what will you do to your marriage? you'll destroy it. If you're discontented, chronically discontented on your job, what will you do? You'll work against, the, you'll, you will bring about the result of something negative in that environment, destructive element. But when you are contented, you contribute positively to whatever you're a part of. You contribute positively to your marriage. You can contribute positively to the groups you're connected with. You're, you're an asset rather than a liability. And so that's a choice that you make. Number six, read with me. You have to dream how? Carefully, Let me explain this very quickly. You might want to write down beside that dream, dream wisely. I'm, I'm a big believer. Everybody ought to have some dreams for your life. It's good to have a dream for your life. But I've learned over the years this. I've learned that you better dream wisely. You better dream carefully because some of the dreams you have for your life are not the dreams God has for your life, okay? And some of the dreams you have for your life, you've interpreted the wrong way in terms of what God's real dream is for your life. Some of the things that I dreamed for my life and I thought was the dream for my life never has come to pass. But other things I never dreamed for my life came to pass that are actually better than the things I dreamed for my life. You with me on this? Okay. And so you have to hold these things very, very lightly. You can't, you can't project into your future exactly what you want your life to be because if you dream without giving it to God, what happens is this. You will set yourself up for a lot of frustration because not everything you expect is going to come to pass for your life. And sometimes you're just fooled. You think that you think you some, you, you're going to have something that you really aren't. If you don't believe that, watch the early uh, auditions of American Idol. Okay? These guys actually think they can sing, okay? I mean, they, and they have a dream. They're going to be the next star. I mean, they cannot carry a tune in a bucket. I mean, they can't do anything. And so somebody finally has to say, look, buddy, we hate to pop your balloon, but guess what? You are not a singer, okay? Maybe there's some other gifts somewhere there, but that's not one of them, okay? 
But you see, they have a dream, but they've been deceived. We can be deceived by our dreams. The best way to dream is the best dream you can have is found in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in this earth as it is in heaven. And so the greatest dream for your life is just to simply put your life in God's hands and say, God, I want your will above and beyond anything else. And every day of my life, let me live in submission to you. The next one, what number is the next one? Number seven, is it? Pray how? Diligently. I'll tell you why. Because you pr- when you choose to pray, it adjusts your priorities. It adjusts your perspective. When you spend time with God, you come away different than you were when you went in. And the last one to do here is to make the choice to remember what? God's faithfulness. To always in everything you do, remember that God is faithful. There's God, God is going to take care of you. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. After talking about contentment, he reminded them, of having learned that lesson of contentment and said, now remember this as well, God is going to take care of you. He will supply every need that you have in your life. So contentment is a state of your heart. It's a state of your mind. It is a secret to joy, and it is a choice that you make. And when you make the choice to be contented, God will back it up with his power. He will enable you to live that kind of life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the instruction of your word. We want to be people who learn, as the Apostle Paul did, the secret of contentment. We want to pack that into our bags for our life journey. And I pray for each one of us here today, Lord, that we would be, Lord, really hungry as students to learn this lesson. That it would be something of an appetite in us today to say we want to learn this thing. We want to gain this secret to life. And help us to make the choices that are necessary that will put us on that pathway. And thank you that you promised to provide us the power to do it through your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. 
And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.